On the next episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to talk about how to scale your company. Jeremy and I are going to share lessons that we learned making tons of mistakes and tell you what has worked ultimately in scaling two of our businesses. We're also going to discuss scaling with Mark Scrementi, who is a fractional COO at Vivid Path Consulting. That's next on Bootstrappers. This is the Bootstrapper Show for property management, powered by Anaquim, a podcast where we have real conversations with industry experts that you can apply to your life and business. Welcome to Bootstrappers, where we talk about topics that matter to real estate and real estate professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Aspen, along with my spouse, Gwen. And today we have a really interesting show. We're gonna talk about what we have learned scaling two different companies, and we scaled them kind of in different ways. One, to get Jeremy out of the weeds, and then another, we've doubled uh, in revenue three years in a row. Um, And then later we're gonna talk to what we call a fractional COO, Mark Scrimetti. He uh, works at Vivid Path Consulting, and he's helped companies scale from eight to uh, eight figures to nine figures in revenue. That's big. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. Go to anaquim.net today and print off one of our ebooks. I recommend the Leadership Development ebook. If you have A players at your company, the best way to keep them is to make sure that we're always investing in them more. This manual is going to help you do that more effectively and on a budget. Go to anaquim.net today and print off that ebook. And she recommends it because she wrote it. (laughs) It's very good. So as we get into this topic, we want to talk about what scaling really is because it means different things to different people. Uh, I was at a conference recently at the NARPUM Nationals Conference in Kansas City. I was speaking with uh, a CEO and he's like, I make enough money. I'm happy. I had like a hard life growing up where my mom worked three jobs and my goal is to spend more time with my family. So his goal was to scale his company to a point where he didn't have to work there anymore, except for like one day a week, which I know, Jeremy, you did at Wistar. So that's one way to scale. So um, I, whenever I think about scaling and the way that I've gone about it in my career is I have to make things replicable. And so the way you can tell whether or not you've made something that's replicable, uh, that's a word, right? I don't know. Okay, is it? repeatable. The <laughs> way, the, what you have to be able to do is be able to count whatever your output is and easily identify that now you just add one person or one vehicle or one computer to your inventory or personnel, whatever it is, and, the, and it just keeps, uh, your company just keeps producing. So So that's the other way of scaling, like when people are thinking about it. Yeah, it's a production line. So um, essentially, like if I'm visualizing it in my head, it's making the production line um, longer or it's making more uh, lines of production. And that just means... so that equals revenue for us dumber people than you. Yeah, so (laughs) one one instance might be where... um, Well, there aren't many of those. There aren't many of this. I have to dumb things down pretty good just so I understand them. Um, You you know, so if you have have a scalable company, you have a product that does A, B, and C. But let's say you wanted to get into another industry. All right, so let's stick to service. And it's a, the only thing that's different about it is that it's in a different vertical. Really, if you have it scaled, you have a model that you can copy and paste in another industry and use to do the same exact 
thing that you were doing before. So in property management, it would look like you've got a, a really productive um, organization in Omaha, Nebraska. And then you use as many components of that already existing um, model to do the work in Lincoln, Nebraska, or in Chicago, mm -hmm. right? So right. That's, that's how I see scaling. So some of the things that we've learned by scaling companies, either by doubling in revenue every year as we have in Anaquim, or by just getting yourself out of a job as you did in Wistar, is the number one thing is writing everything we do down and handing it off. Um, and we've talked about that so much that write your processes and procedures down. I if think you're not doing it, and we've up. preached and preached about that. But some of the pitfalls that I've noticed people have is one is that they just can't give up control because a lot of us CEOs and I'm uh, I have this problem too. Um, we think we're the best salesperson. We think we're the best at operations. We can't imagine someone being better than us at a role. And so it's really hard for us to give up the control and delegate. I, I see that all the time. And that's one of the problems that keeps people from really truly growing their business. The fact of the matter is sometimes people can do things better. Um, that's why we all, uh, hire consultants or you can train somebody to be at least good enough at doing it that it just makes sense to hand it off to that person. See, and the way that I went about it is I literally, uh, I kind of went about it the exact opposite way. I just inherently believe that I pretty much suck at everything. Is or that <laughs> imposter syndrome? Yeah, it's a little bit of <laughs> imposter syndrome. Um, so what I try to do is I quickly, I quickly identify that, okay, this is an area that I probably shouldn't be doing. I do the hard work, I figure it out, I draw it out, I do the work for a while, I write everything down in the right order, and then, and actually in the software itself so that it's um, much more automated, and then you hand it off to somebody else. And hold them accountable to do and it. And then just hold them accountable to do it. But you gotta, when you're handing it off, make sure that it's already working. Mm -hmm. Now this is their job to make it better, but it's working. Then the other thing that's helped us scale our companies is having really structured strategic planning meetings for the year, the quarter, and the week. So this would be the traction model or EOS model. Um, but you don't really need to use those models. I mean, we do, but as long as it's organized and you have a structured approach, that works and agendas and quarterly goals, you can move your business forward. But our company did flounder, Wistar floundered before we instituted a, the structured approach. Yeah, it, we just grew uh, for a long time. We grew really well. And then when it came time, you know, to really try and get past what the, where the natural stop was, it took a lot more effort on the strategy side and planning and holding people accountable and ultimately that worked, but it took a, it, it, it took having a kind of a solid structure, structure, meeting structure. And then the next one is making sure you have the right people in the right places with job descriptions. So this is where I struggle with this because I like love everybody. <laughs> and so when they are not working out or your company grows beyond them, it's really hard to make those tough decisions. Um, and that clarity of the role is really important if you do struggle because you love everybody. And even for yourself as a manager, being like this person isn't cutting it or they are cutting it because if you have clear KPIs, 
then it's like just the facts, Jack. But that's where people really struggle is they have someone in the wrong position. I did talk to an entrepreneur and he said that he's an older guy and he sold his company. He said the number one reason why he wasn't more successful is he kept somebody on staff as his COO that just wasn't that good. And that's what held him back. And then the fourth one, Jeremy, do you want to talk about this? Because this is your area. Uh, having quality control measures in place uh, and measure the KPIs to uh, make sure you're measuring what matters. This is something that we run into quite a bit where it, when you hand off to somebody else, they create KPIs, um, but they don't really create KPIs are going to tell you how you're doing and better yet, how you're going to be doing. So leading indicators. Um, they start to use KPIs as a warehouse for information so, because they think that they might be able to go back in time someday and look for trends. And at that point, I'm sorry, it's already too late. In our industry, property management, you want to be able to identify how many showings you're having, right? Because that is a leaning indicator into how many leases you're going to have. So uh, use a 10 and 1 number, I think. Yeah, say 10 and 1. So if you didn't have, if it takes 10 showings to have one lease, then you better not just have nine showings, right? Because right. you're really reducing the odds of you actually being able to, to close something. I just want to say one other thing that we have is called the Opportunity for Improvement Report. It also includes kudos, but anyone at the company can write a note about how something doesn't work. And then we have a quality control person who follows up on all those measures. And that is a really helpful tool. It's helped us grow uh, while maintaining quality service. Okay, so I just wanna talk quickly about some pitfalls and throw Jeremy and me under the bus with some of the things that we've done wrong when we've been scaling. One is uh, creating too much customization. If you're customizing, this This was like your pet peeve. Oh yeah. Whenever somebody, whenever a client uh, calls up and says, Hey, could you just, uh, um, could you go to our property once a week? You know, if that's not part of your normal routine or something and you just need to tell them no, because the the way I see it is that you're going to fail as a property manager, you're supposed to be doing best practices for your portfolio. And in order to be able to get to all that, you've got to systematize your entire organization. So if you do not have it scheduled to go to somebody's house on Wednesdays, like your client might be asking you to do, then don't say you will, because two reasons. One, it'll yep. be much more difficult to actually accomplish it. And two, your systems have already determined in that you practice, you do best practices, that that's not optimal use of time on Wednesdays. And you're going to screw up if you do that too many times. Well, it's subject to human error. And if you're exposing a system to human error, you're not, you can reasonably expect there to be errors. Another, another one is poor boundary is similar actually in in sort of a way, but poor boundaries and guardrails. So when you're developing a service, uh, and I did this, I have poor boundaries. Um, I made a service. I wanted people to be so happy. And this is Particular, particularly the call center, the after hours emergency call center. So we created a call center and I didn't put any boundaries like, hey, we're going to call you your, your top three vendors three times. And if no one answers, then we're going to send you an email and then we're done with it. So I would call a vendor 12 times and they would never pick up, but I never put that stop gap or that guardrail in. And so even though I went way above and beyond what I was supposed to do or what we had talked about, they were still mad because the emergency work wasn't completed. And even though I went above and beyond, 
it still looked like a failure for me because I had never put a guardrail or a boundary up. So it resulted in me doing way more work and an unhappy client. So what we did is we fixed that <laughs> and we, we said, this is the lie, this escalation path. And then if this happens, then this happens. And then that's the end of it. And it put some more responsibility on the client at the very end after we did all of our work and just the clarity of who does what and when the process ends created happier clients. Guardrails create predictability. And then the last one is as we scaled um, Anaquim, which now has like 800 employees. So at like 300 employees, there was some, something's broke. And one of the things that broke was email communication. We had an HR person and we fired her. And when we fired her, we realized she had 400 unread emails. <laughs> and at that moment, we were like, oh my God, we need an internal ticketing system so we can manage communication. That solved our problems and it made for happy um, employees because HR was responding. And uh, it was an embarrassing mistake, but one that we had to go through as we scaled. That was one of our growing It's also things. an example of uh, us not managing stuff because the ticketing system had already existed for several years. It's just that that person never used it. And so it and just, we never held them accountable, we never held them to, accountable it. to it. So right? well, we should bring Mark Scrementi into the conversation. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you, Gwen? It's great to see you. Great to see Jeremy. you too. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, Mark is a fractional COO. And so Mark, can you just tell us more about what your role is and how you help companies? Sure. Yeah. A lot of people are like, what is fractional? And you know, fractional is uh, basically part-time. So I work as a COO and or an EOS integrator for multiple companies at once. Um, and these are small to medium-sized companies, um, anywhere from two to 10 million, typically up to 50 million in revenues, 10 to 250 people typically. And I'm focused on helping them grow, get to one stage to the next. Um, and so that involves strategy, developing and implementing and executing strategy, and then aligning operations with strategy, scaling operations, building systems, processes, and teams for growth. So is and your job to kind of get yourself out of a job? Like, so you'll take yes. it from uh, 20 million to 50 million and it's like, okay, well, I got it. He goes, go hire a full-time COO, I'm out. That's your definition exactly. of success? That, that, that's sort of my definition of success. It's built into the, the role where I'm there part-time and my goal is to get you to the point where you need somebody in the role full-time and I will help you find that person, if that's internal or if it's an external hire and develop that person and, and make the transition. If I've done that, that means I've done my job successfully. That's awesome. What are some of the issues that you see that prevent uh, small, medium-sized uh, companies from reaching the scale that they wanna reach? I think a lot of it has to do with the the CEO, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I recognize I'm speaking to a CEO right no, now. No, we know. We know that sometimes we're, we're difficult to work with. <laughs> well, it starts with self-awareness. So that's, that's a good step. I'm kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> typical, um, you know, CEO situation, you know, in, in a lot of these, these companies, you have somebody very driven, tons of ideas, very creative, a visionary, 
and they're doing everything themselves um, or they're trying to do everything themselves. And that maybe they've been, you know, they've been juggling all the balls and spinning all the plates for a long time and making it work, but it gets to the point where that doesn't work anymore. Um, and you may be able to grow that way, but at some point, you know, getting that person to step back and recognize, hey, this is not the best use of my time. And, and often it's accompanied by some level of burnout or, you know, you know, some, something is suffering. There's a big cost to marriage. it you know, personally, marriage. Um, and you guys are married, right? Yeah, right. Yep. we're married. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay, Lucky okay, gal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. end up making it work. But I mean, we've had our ups and downs with running companies together. But yeah, we can see, you know, we hang out with a lot of entrepreneurs and we see the stress that it can put on a marriage. So that's when people bring you in is that there's been maybe some event that caused them to say, hey, I need to do something different. Is that typically what happens? Right. Either there's there's a stagnation, like, they, they're like hey, we're not growing, and I'm not mm-hmm. really sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, and they probably have some good ideas. Some case, in some ideas, they know very well what's not working. Um, but usually, it's going to be more than what they think anyway, um, because it you know this uh, every company is unique, and there's a lot of complexity, um, and there's a lot of um, subtlety, you know, in all of this. So. Um, Typically, once you start poking around, you discover all kinds of things that could be improved. Um, and I think one of the things with uh, going back to you know impediments or with the CEO, it's not wanting to let go, and that's understandable. So you want you want somebody you can. This is your baby, and you're you're entrusting your baby to somebody else. So you really have to trust them, and on multiple levels, you know, on a competence level, um, and a know what you're doing level, but also like on a like I can a reliability level. And an honesty level, is this person going to be real with me? Are they going to be honest with me? And that's the, the flip side of that is that sometimes CEOs don't want that. You know, they don't want to hear the truth. Ah. And I, I've encountered that as well, oh, where yeah. um, you're giving them feedback. Hey, look, look, the way this is r- working right now, this is not a scalable business model. We're going to have to make these changes. Or, for example, it doesn't make sense that you're having $1,100, um, you know, um, dinners uh, right now, that's not, it's not earning, that's not buying us uh, what we need. And, and we're cash strapped right now. Um, and they, if they're not willing to, you know, if they're not teachable, um, ah. it doesn't, it usually doesn't go that well. So they, they have to want to um, listen and learn. They have to trust you um, as the person who's going to be giving them that feedback. And sometimes they may not, they may expect to see it in a different form, you know, they may not. Um, so it, they may not. Um, they imagine they may imagine that it goes a different way, or it needs to go a different way than than you're actually presenting to them. Um, so there can be resistance in that. Um, if you can't have those kinds of fundamental conversations and you know conflict and 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 resolve conflict, like talk through difficult conversations together. I don't think it's it usually works. And actually, that's one of the things that I've noticed. We've had a couple of uh, you know EOS uh, consul- uh, con- consultants and what a COO, fractional COs, I suppose. And that is one thing that is so nice about it is that they the ones that I've seen that have been very good are just super honest. They're honest mm-hmm. in that they're willing to have hard conversations with you. Um, and then I think the other part of that honesty, for some reason, I want to say it's they're they're predictable. Like they they're setting something up that is going to make it so that you can kind of or you can better anticipate what the future looks like. 
And I just want to go back to something that you said that was really interesting. It seems to me you're saying that a lot of the reasons why companies stagnate or, you know, need have an event that necessitates that someone that they bring you in like a fractional COO is that what got them to the level of success they had or they have isn't what's going to get them to that next level of success. So it's like some personal characteristic of of themselves is actually holding the company back. Is that kind of what right. you see often? Oh, absolutely. Like it's, it's what got you here is not going to get you there. And because you haven't gotten there yet, you don't know quite what that looks like. And it may come in a different package, so to speak, than what you're expecting, but it, it, it will involve change. And, you know, anytime that you're growing, you're stepping out into a zone of discomfort. And so you have to be willing to step into that uncomfortable place. And I, I will help guide you there. And, you know, my role as a CEO is, is really to be a partner to the CEO. And I, I, I believe it, it can involve, you know, challenging them, you know, in a, in a constructive way. Um, you have to be able to have that rapport and, and the CEO needs to um, be up for that. So- and, um, I'm sorry, we're going to say something, Jerry? Well, no, no, continue that thought. <laughs> well, that, that. Yeah. Um, so, right. And then I think um, there's sometimes a, the CEO isn't really as good as they think at certain tasks that they're doing. And, um, you know, they really, um, the, my job is to free them up to do what they do best. Um, and that usually involves, um, you know, identifying um, places where we can hire people to do what they're doing um, cost effectively. Um, there's typically a, a systems uh, and a processes component to it. Um, you know, often people, um, even when it comes to processes, like when I started my career, I started as a, a technical writer and it was a really good experience oh. because you learn how to interview people and to figure out what's actually going on. And anytime you talk to somebody about a process, they'll tell you, well, this is how it works. And they're mostly right, but they're they're almost always overlooking certain like key steps that they either take for granted, you know, they've done it so many times they don't even think about it, or they're combining steps that uh, somebody else might see as separate steps. Um, or and you talk to somebody else and they describe the process differently. So you really need to go in, talk to a lot of people, um, observe, listen, document, um, and then to figure out how it actually works and and. A person in my position, and one thing that I try to do with my clients is I should be able to do a process flow of your entire business, depending on what it is. And there might there might be multiple processes, and there will be multiple processes, but how does it work as a system? You know, I tend to think um, systematically. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a systems thinker. So everything is a system within a system. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to do, you know, to really understand how it works, and usually there's a, a light bulb moment, a, a uh, when people see that diagram, the process diagram for the first time, they're like, yes, that is how it works. But the beauty of it is that you can see it all at once. It's a visual diagram mm-hmm. and you can see the whole system at once. And so people say, oh, it recognize where they fit in in the system. And then it becomes much easier to identify the gaps in the areas for improvement and optimization. Can you give us an example of a time when the CEO brings you in, you evaluate the company, and then the fix that you bring is totally different than what the CEO thought 
should be the fix? Because you mentioned that as being a problem yeah. for right. your business. Or that, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, right. Here, here's an example where, um, you know, I was in online retail for for many years, for twelve years um, at one company, and we had a content site, um, and the it was sort of the the CEOs, the founder CEOs, pet project in a way, and it was a very expensive proposition because we were doing videos and we were hiring writers to produce content, um, and it was a really cool site. We had um, reviews, product reviews, demos, tutorials, artist interviews. These, this is musical instruments. So we were selling musical mm. instruments, um, uh, product release news. And um, one of my, that was one of my first projects really was like, make this thing work, you know, like get this thing working. And the goal was to produce 15 pieces of content a day. And um, for anyone who's a content producer, you know that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of content. Yeah. But we were able to do it. We hit that. We hit that number, and that would be maybe you know six videos a day, four to six videos wow. a day, and the rest was written content. But um, a there was a cost to that um, in terms of uh, a toll on the employees to keep up that pace. Mm -hmm. B the site wasn't making any money, and so this is going back to like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Um, and, you know, like, how do we monetize this? Like, we tried selling advertisements in our industry, which was a certain, not an early adopter. People weren't buying online advertisements. They were still um, placing ads in catalogs. So it wasn't really making money that way. And the owner, for, for particular reasons I don't need to get into, was, was reluctant to, to tie the site more directly to the e-commerce sites that were actually mm. our bread and butter. And so what I did eventually is I folded that operation into the e-commerce. Like, like, look, we're not going to make money this way. We're throwing away a lot of money. It's very expensive. However, the content we're producing is fantastic. People love it. it uh, a lot of this stuff is great for SEO. Um, it's great for in terms of content marketing. We can use it, but let's use it to sell product on our website. And so I took that team and, and repurposed it and, and brought them in and at the same time, the, the flip side of that is we had merchandisers who knew their gear really well. Like this guy knows guitars, this guy knows drums, this guy knows DJ equipment, but they were spending most of their time in spreadsheets, you know, with thousands of keywords linking, you know, keywords to page destinations. Like that's not a good use of their time, mm. talent or skills. They hate it. <laughs> um, and so let's kind of get them, you know, use their knowledge where it's most, productive let's bring in the, the copywriters who can take you know uh, who can write seo copy let's use the videos to sell stuff on the site and what we ended up doing is we built a pretty robust digital marketing team as a result you know with with all your your you know with with social email yeah, youtube um you know affiliate marketing and so forth um and that you know ultimately helped with conversion and with with um, our SEO rankings and um, our site authority, um, so and, and, I don't know if there's a long answer to your question. Yeah, but, but and that 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 little website became Amazon, right? That's <laughs> yeah, that's a little secret, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, so it's, yeah, I want to dig into what you said though. Um, you said that the first step was to really evaluate where the income was coming from, and I think people struggle right. with that. Like, where where are we really generating revenue? And then. Right. You, sometimes there are hard conversations that have to happen, like this service or product that you may love or you dreamed of really isn't a mm -hmm. revenue generator. So right. getting real about what the future of your company truly looks like. Then 
it look it sounds like you looked at the team and asked yourself, are we utilizing these people in their best capacity? Right. And then repurpose the roles so that people were really in their zone of genius instead of in a role right. that was completely unsuited for them. And so that was kind of the steps that you took to get the CEO on track. Right. I mean, especially when you can translate that into the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it did involve killing something. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's an emotional connection there. But but the the net results from a financial st standpoint were very positive. And it also requires just rethinking the whole um, structure and the concept like this is no longer a merchandising team, this is a digital marketing team. And so having to, you know, looking at things a different way. So being able to adapt like that. So having someone like you come in and really look with fresh eyes at an organization that was floundering really helped. And I think I, I imagine team morale went up and it became more fun to work there because people it were did. in the right seats. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that that's a big part of it. You know, right people, right seats. We, you know, we had a lot of right people, wrong seats. We had some missing seats, or you know, we had some wrong seats, and then we also had some wrong people. And kind of sorting all that out. It, take, it takes a little time to do that. Do you think it's helpful? Because people, I'm one of those people. I fall in love with every, I love people. So it's hard for yeah. me to make those those choices on personnel. Do you find bringing yeah. someone in and seeing fresh eyes helps people get a little bit more clear on who's working on their team and who's not? I, th I think it does, for sure. Um, there's a kind of uh, perspective and objectivity. There isn't the personal attachment um, but in any case, um, it's never easy, you know, to have to let people go. Um, and that's usually a last resort. Um, there, in a lot of cases, we're able to re, you know, retrain people or adapt them to new roles. Um, and, you know, as I said that, uh, or as you suggested that really, really increase their productivity because they were in their zone of genius where they weren't previously. In other cases, you know, you kind of, you have to coach them out and it's, it's, um, ideally you get to a point of like mutual understanding. It's like, Hey, this is not good for you. This is not really working for us. Um, and so that happens sometimes as well. The difference with the CEO, it, it I've kind of realized here is that, um, you know, as a company grows from small startup to whatever it's becoming and then going to become, uh, the, the, you know, there are people inside the organization that just can't make it to another level. And, and unfortunately, sometimes they can't even make it to tomorrow. They have to be let go. Mm -hmm. I suppose that the one person, and, you know, unless it's a publicly held company, in a privately held company, is the CEO. I, you know, the company's growing, outgrowing them too, right? So right. Right. it's this is kind of I think where your industry must come in. You've got to make it so that this person that has been outgrown by their own company has to adapt, right? Right. Right. They, they have to adapt um, or um, you kind of work around them oh, in a yeah. way that still involves them. Now, that's suboptimal um, yeah. because it takes a lot of effort, a lot of you know, emotional energy and effort. Uh, you're not trying to subvert them, but I mean, in some ways you're filling in, you know, and that's how I tend to look at it. And, and I think that's true in any relationship. We can talk about whether it's a marriage or, you know, CEO, CEO, COO relationship. I see, you know, uh, we'll have some of the same skills. We'll have some complementary skills. And, you know, part of my job in that 
relationship would be to fill in where the other person wasn't either wasn't strong or wasn't interested. You know, for example, um, I've been in situations where the CEO was kind of done with people management. You know, so like mm-hmm. you're the person to handle all the the people stuff. I'm like, okay, you know, like I love people and and um, I like talking to different kinds of people and in. Um, I think I'm a good communicator. So that makes sense for me to do that. Um, now, on the flip side, you know, if somebody has very little relationship with his or her employees, um, you know, you end up being a little bit of a of the whisperer or the translator, you know, like, what, what are they talking about? You know, <laughs> and, and like, hold on, I'll explain, you know, um, or, you know, you, you want to encourage that relationship, but there's always a balance to this. And, and it's, it's, it's possible. I think, I mean, if, you know, it's true. I think that companies outgrow their CEO, but again, if it's privately held, there's not much you can do about that unless the CEO themselves recognizes it and says, you know what, it's, it's better for me to step aside or I'm going to move on my next uh, entrepreneurial mm-hmm. venture and I'm going to let you run it. And I'm going to check in, you know, from time to time. Um, well, a C- that can happen. A CEO can also just go to like one meeting a week and then have yeah. the integrator really run the operations and maybe make up for that. Right. I, I mean, you can kind of, it, the person who's running the operations really has to be the one that grows with the company. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of, like you said, be the translator that, for the CEO. And that happened to us <laughs> with one of our companies. I ended up the last year and a half uh, having one and a half hour meetings a week, one, one and a half hour meeting a week, and that company's selling. Um, I mean, it, so it worked. I mean, I got to get out of that. We spent more time on Aniquim and um, the integrator of that company just ran it. It's cool. Right. And the, the flip. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, the flip side there, or the risk there, I think, is um, number one, if, if a CEO um, is just already kind of um, part time or, you know, treating it as a lifestyle business. And they bring you in. They think you're gonna. They're you're gonna solve all their problems. So like, hey, okay, I'm done. It's like, no. Before you disappear, <laughs> um, let's. I I need you know information from you, and 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 I need information from you, probably on a consistent basis for a while. You know, to a to make sure we're on the same page. You know, b to learn as much as possible because this is your baby, and I am treating it as such with great respect and great care. I'm. Not, I don't want to drop this this baby. I don't want to damage this baby in any way. And in fact, I want to help you grow and take it to the next level. But in order to do that, I'm going to need some input from you and some, you know, availability at the very least. Um, so I think that's, a, that's another part of it. So interesting. Well, where can people find you, Mark, if they, if oh, they well, need you, help with their business? Sure. Uh, you can find me Online, of course, uh, my LinkedIn page. Um, my name is Mark Scrementi. Uh, you can also find me on my homepage, which is Vivid Path Consulting. It's a long one. Uh, vivid as in the word vivid, path as in P-A-T-H, something that you would walk on, um, consulting.com. And um, you can reach out to me. My, my email address is mark.scrementi, first name, dot last name, at vividpathconsulting.com. And my phone number, 847-454-5741, if you want to give me a call. I just think that there's such a need for this. People um, are in transitions. I know the property management industry, which we serve, uh, it's been a hard market for a lot of people because 
property prices have gone up. And so people are scrambling just to keep their door count the same as it was before. And the market is transitioning a lot. So I think there's a lot of soul searching going on in our industry right now where people just don't know what to expect. And um, when that happens, it's a good time to maybe be introspective or bring a second set of eyes into your organization so that you can grow it and maybe transform it, maybe course correct. It sounded like Mm -hmm. you gave a bunch of ways that people could maybe course correct and look into doing things a little bit differently so that they can succeed into the future. Yeah, they just got to get past that scarcity mindset. You know, I mean, the only way to really get somewhere else is to take a leap. And it's not easy. I mean, hiring a, a, a fractional COO is expensive per hour, right? Um, mm. But if you don't do it, by day. that's more expensive. Yeah, by day, right? It's <laughs> right. It's very. It's way more expensive in terms of the opportunity cost. Anyway. Yeah. Right. So, I, Mark, I, such I a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. It's it's a pleasure for me too. I, I could talk about this uh, a lot more. So <laughs> then we'll have to have uh, you on again thank you for <laughs> the opportunity. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. It's great. It's great seeing you all. Great meeting you, Jeremy. You too. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. Right now, go to anaquim.net and download the free leadership development ebook. It's really hard to figure out how to develop your team. And in such a difficult hiring environment, it's really important that we learn to do so. So we retain the best and brightest and can keep, uh, keep continue to hire Uh, amazing employees. So the best way to do this is to have a leadership development course at your company. A lot of small companies don't have the budget for that. We fix that with this ebook, the leadership development ebook at anaquim.net. Download it today and you are going to have the best leadership development plan, program, and manual at your office. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Bootstrappers. This is the Bootstrapper Show for Property Management, powered by Anaquim, a podcast where we have real conversations with industry experts that you can apply to your life and business.